Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Man, welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok, and you're tuned in. It's our nationwide search for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining us virtually in the studio from Sacramento, California, I've got Matson Brakey. He is with Metal Cloak. Matson, welcome to the show. Hey, well, hey, thank you so much. I'm so used to saying welcome to other people. Like, I'm not usually the guest. Usually, I'm the host. So it's like, hey, welcome to your yeah, back and forth. But yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, how many times have you been a guest on a show? Uh, like only like a, a half dozen. I've, I've done 208 episodes of my own show. But like being a guest on some other shows, it's it's kind of funny because I started reaching out. In fact, we cooked, hooked up via a matchmaker.fm, yep. which is a pretty cool little place where you can go and hook up. But I've sent out messages to a bunch of people. Some people respond like you did. Others kind of go, hey, who is this Yahoo? Man, I have only been a guest twice. And you're exactly right. It is. It's insane. Like the very first time I was a guest on another show, I was so nervous. And it, it doesn't make sense to the average person because they're like, wait, you host a podcast. Why would why are you nervous to be on a show? And I'm like, because it's different when the focus is on you. Like right, right. here, this is my show, but the focus is on you. This is all about you, your company, that kind of thing. It just, it takes the pressure off of me. So it feels natural, but man, when it comes to being the guest that's in the spotlight, I was shaking, nervous, and he would ask a question. I'm like, just spit it out. Like, here's my answer. <laughs> all right. Next question. You know? And uh, I used to do a shot of espresso. Like, so I've done a lot over the years. I've done a lot of, of media. I've even done live shows. Like I did a, I did a live, uh, live TV early on in my twenties when I was doing stuff. And uh, I'm such, we, we can talk about all my history and all that stuff down the road, but I was like the shot of espresso beforehand or a couple shots, like get, get, get it going. So I can just talk, but you always sound like, you always sound worse than you actually are. Like even, I do live speeches and you know, I do, you know, I do speeches to groups and I do stuff like that. And I've done presentations and, and, Afterwards, I'm like, man, I rambled through that or I stumbled on that. I'm like, no, no, no. That was great. It sounds yep. good. You know, then afterwards, you're sitting here watching yourself going, man, man, that was, that was pretty damn good. Watch yourself again and again and again. You know, we, we had that discussion this morning that imposter syndrome is so real. And mm. uh, it, it spurred because I had two things happen yesterday. One friend texted me and she was like, man, I'm really loving that last episode that you had. Like, it's so good. We're talking about, you know, X, Y, Z and. I was like, I really hated that episode. <laughs> like it was such a terrible episode to me in my head. And um, she was just like, well, I'm telling you, like, it was great. You did awesome. And then I had a guest that hit me up his booking agent. And he was like, hey, he doesn't hand out compliments very often about being on other people's show. And he was like, he really enjoyed the conversation with you and said, you are solid in what you're doing. And I was like, mm -hmm. me? Like, I'm wow. this is good. What wow. do you mean? Uh, because That's it's just cool. it's so routine for you. And you just kind of feel like, well, I'm not Joe Rogan, right? You know, I'm not team never quit podcast. Like I'm just, I'm just this little top 10% podcast. Like I'm not, I'm, 
I've got some good things going, but am I really that special? And then you hear those compliments. Top 10% though, dude. I mean, top 10%. It's killer. It is. You know, you start listening, like I, I, we're streamed through Buzzsprout. So, you, li- you know, Buzzsprout and a lot of what they're talking about with, you know, and their, and their, um, their podcast where they talk about how to get better and do things. And I start listening. I realize, like, wow, there's a lot of podcasts out there that get maybe 25 downloads a week. Yep. Right. And that's, that's the extent of what they do. I heard a statistic recently that there's 600 million blogs out there, but there's only 10 million podcasts. So the space is huge and it's ready to grow. But the, a lot of those podcasts are those little long tail. They get 25, 30, 40 downloads a week and have something that really engages people and have something that really gets people to be part of that conversation. Right. And just the casualness of it. One of the very first shows I was on um, a couple of years ago, it was a group of guys. It was three guys and they always have guests on. And it was very routine, like that you could see that they had they had pre-scripted everything and they had a they had a model to follow to do this. Right. Awesome guys. But oh, my God, was I bored as mm. the guest? And so I actually felt like I, I engaged, like I asked them questions. I became the, like, just to keep the engagement going and keep the fun going, right? It was just pull things out, ask them questions, get it involved so that we'd actually have a little bit of fun because, you know, podcasts have got it. When somebody's listening, they have to have to feel like they're learning something, they're engaged. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I only have short spots because I, my commute is super short. So I get in the truck, I pop it in there, I get it going. And like right now I'm listening to Rogan with, um, Russell Brand, his Russell Brand interview. Oh, oh I bet that's I a mean, good one. I, I can't keep up. I already usually have him at one and a quarter, one and a half. Russell Brown, I got to slow down. I can't keep up with him. He's just going, it's just talking so fast, but it was a great interview. But I get like little six minute snippets on the way and back and forth to work. I mean, and and I will say too, first of all, I'm not saying top 10% to, to brag. Like I'm super grateful. It's okay. It, it's killer. Um <laughs> But, you know, on the podcasting space itself, 10 million shows. And the thing is that the majority of them are not active. These are a one season and done or just, you know, hey, this was a series we were pushing out for one time. And of course, they're going to continue to get downloads, but they're not actively creating content like this show. We're 75 episodes released so far. I've got about 110 episodes recorded. So I have 30 to 35 that I still need to edit and then. Uh, produce and push those out. And um, it's an active show every single week we're doing it. And that's why we're getting probably somewhere around 750, 900 downloads per week. And it's not, it's not like what I want, because of course I want to get to that level where I've got, you know, audio boom coming to offer me a contract and stuff, but I'm so grateful for where I'm at. And the big thing I want to push just because I know that obviously there's a chance a podcaster is listening right now. I've got a consultation with one later today to try and, you know, Basically, the message I want to push to her is, girl, you are 16 episodes into this thing. Don't be down on yourself that you're getting 20 or 30 downloads an episode. That's great because this Mm -hmm. is a long game of creating content, people finding your content and coming back for it. Like if you're early in your stage of creating and, and publishing a podcast, know that the downloads are going to come. It's going to get better because two years ago when this thing started, I was hovering around that 15 to 20 downloads. It was my personal friends that I was saying, go listen right right now. And they were tuning in and listening to it. And that was it. That's all I had. And so it's like, eventually you're going to have a a fan base of people that want to come back and hear this stuff. So just if you're listening right now and you're just totally down in the dumps about your downloads, just know they're coming and just stay 
the path. It's a long game for sure. You got to stay true. You got to stay true to what you're doing. I experimented with a podcast at the beginning of the pandemic that was about mental health issues because I had a whole nother life where I worked in that that field. And that was, and it was partly, it was just trying to help people get through it, right? I think we did five episodes, but I realized how much what happened in 2020 is instead of things slowing down here at Metal Cloak, things got busier. So all of a sudden my time was more consumed. And so I just didn't have time to do two podcasts a week, but it was, it was that. And if I look back at those early ones, it was 25, 35, you know, 45 downloads. And at first I was a little floored by that, but then I went back and I looked at modern Jeeper show, which gets a lot of downloads every week. And we're pretty proud of that. But in the beginning it was our first few episodes were 25, 35, 45 shows. Now I had the advantage of having a massive customer list from Metal Cloak that we could promote to, and we did, and we were able to build that up um, and then build it up in all our different channels. But in the beginning, that's what happens. You just got to go through it. By the, you know, what do they say? In the world of, of, of television, it's like, get to those 100 episodes. If you get 100 episodes done, right, then you get into syndication, it grows. In the world of podcasting, right, you just got to get, you got to be consistent. You don't have to be, I mean, I, I love, for instance, Dan Carlin's hardcore history, right? And it's once in a blue moon that he comes up with a new episode, but it's a deep dive six hour episode, but so you can do it however you want to do it. We're experimenting with a couple more podcasts here and some of them, they're probably not going to be every week. They're going to be, hey, when you want to sit down and tell a two hour story, let's do it. Let's record it and make it into a podcast and just share it. If you can enjoy your passion of sharing to people, that's just what makes it exciting. It's all that conversation we had prior to the show. Right. Doing something you enjoy. That's what matters. Right. And if you make money off of it, great. Eventually, I'm sure that you will. And yeah, I love podcasting. Now, speaking of a show that has their little pre-scripted things that they do, we are like, I don't even know how long we've been recording already, but we're way past the time <laughs> we're supposed to do the icebreakers. So I'll say what I always say. And that's, as you know, we always start out our show with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question, this is a controversial one. This is something that is going to bring up some heavy discussions in the car to people that are listening right now. And that is how many alarms do you set for yourself and how many times do you hit the snooze button? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of funny. So I have I have alarms in my house, but they are human alarms because I have three kids. Um, I had four dogs. We lost one recently. So we have three dead, three kids, three dogs, two cats and a wife all in the household. Every one of those at any one time is the, is the alarm in the morning. I am the guy though. I am the guy that if I have my phone next to me or I have the alarm next to me, I will by automatically, like not even consciously hit snooze. I've been there. Hit snooze or hit that. And then I will oversleep. Next thing I know, I've gone through an hour of snoozes. I have to have my phone either physically in the bathroom, which is a far distance for me. <laughs> I've even gone so far as having it down in the kitchen. There, there's enough of an echo. I have a two-story house, enough of an echo from the kitchen upstairs my wife will hear it and she'll wake me up if i don't hear it i will get up go downstairs start the coffee turn off the alarm that gets me out of bed i have to use that to get out there was a great little thing that i got from tim ferris years ago um, when he was doing the quarterlies and it was an alarm that had the most irritating noise and it had two wheels on it and if if you turned it off or you did anything the wheels would roll and it would go onto the floor and it would just keep going around and going around. It would go all these weird noises. It would just get you. You have I me. Mean, there was no way to turn this thing off until you got up, grabbed it and hit it. It was the perfect alarm because it just forced you to get out of bed and do it. Yep. But yeah, I, I will do that. I will just go and I'll just keep hitting it. Yeah. How many alarms does your wife have to set? Is she the same way or? No. Once she's up, she's up. Yep. Like she sets one alarm. Once she's up, even once she wakes up, it should do it. Now, I, I pride myself on those moments where you go, 
you wake up, you're like, it's, you know, the alarm set for 630 and it's 625 and you go, yeah, okay. Now I woke up. Like you, you see these ones out there that are, um, they're designed to wake you up naturally. Like the light starts illuminating slowly and the yeah. music illuminates slowly for it. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Like, no, I'm the guy who the moment I hear the sound, I go, okay, I got to turn it off. Now, what now that guess the next question is what is your alarm? Like what sound you use on your phone? Yeah. And so to answer all of those questions, I am definitely, the reason I know this is controversial is I've seen it all over TikTok, Instagram reels, that kind of stuff. And then I live it. My wife sleeps with earplugs in because she's mm. such a light sleeper and her alarm sound is that very like quiet, like do, 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 just making a little bit of noise. And she wakes up the first time, turns it off, grabs her phone. She's up awake, ready to start her day. I'm not that guy. My alarm sounds are things that just will make your ears bleed. Um, I've got <laughs> one of the main ones that I use is the Avengers theme song, but it's like Skrillex version, you know, that, um, uh, what is that type of music? But yeah, it's like where it just turns it into like this remix, just really loud. Uh, I love it. Ringtone. And I set no lie. Like this morning I needed to wake up and be here for a meeting at nine. Humble brag. I got here at eight. Um, and I had my <laughs> alarm set for seven, seven, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 45, 50, 55, and eight. All preset. Nice. All preset when I went to bed. And that is insanity to some people. Someone's listening right now and they hate me, even though they used to like me and like my show because they're like, <laughs> I, there's no way my wife hates it. She tells me all the time. She's like, oh, you're getting ready for work in the morning. Uh, can't wait to you know hear 10 alarms at 445 for you to wake up and be at the station by 630. I'm like, look. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to oversleep and then I'm not going to show up to relieve the guy that's supposed to get off the fire truck. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I've got to set all these alarms. I've been, though, really trying to improve in that realm because I saw some stuff that said, like, neuroscience wise, it's really bad to hit that snooze button because then you start your sleep cycle all over and it takes you 60 to 90 minutes to get to a point where if you wake up again after going back to sleep, you're actually going to be able to wake up and kind of seize the day versus if you wake up in the middle of that sleep cycle, you're going to be groggy for hours and it's going to take time to shake that off. And I'm like, well, no wonder I'm tired all the time. So I have been really trying, I'm getting it down now to where I'm waking up like my second or third alarm. Uh, same thing though. I have, you know, a bunch of alarms running around the house in the form of my 14 year old, eight year old and four year old. Uh, and then nice. the wife kicking me or punching me in the morning whenever my alarm goes off before she needs to wake up. So right. I'm getting better. I'm trying on it. But man, you're right. It is just it's a struggle because I hate waking up. I'm so productive in the afternoons or the mm. evenings. I'd rather mm. be at work later then have to wake up early and be at work early. Well, around here, the guys will say, they'll actually be surprised that we're talking about alarms because they'll say, well, when does Matson sleep? True. Because they're used to getting emails at 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m., 4 a.m. Generally, what will happen in my cycles, I, I get home, we get take care of the kids, kids finally get to bed. I might hang on the couch a little bit. I might fall asleep on the couch. Yep. I wake up and I go to work. I sit down at the table, ran, ran the laptop, start doing production, start doing stuff, start handling some emails, start sending out requests to guys. My mind's just always working. And in my youth, that used to be the game, right? I would go in the office when I had my own graphic design company. I'd go in the office about 10 o'clock and um, handle some customers, do some stuff, go through some other things, come back. But my most productive time was always in the evening, right? I'd grab my 
couple of bottles of Mountain Dew, my bag of Santitas yep. and sit down and tackle the customer's project, right? Or, or do some writing for a local magazine or whatever I was doing at the time. But that 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. period was just my most productive time. The world is shutting down around us and I can just sit there and do work. So I still have that habit of being able to do stuff when there's nothing else going on. I can sit down, throw on some music. I have two different playlists on uh, from uh, Pandora that I still use after all these years. And one is for me doing graphic design work and one is me for doing writing. And no matter what it is, I'll just put it on and just have it on the headphones going and just tackle it. And But the rest of the world... I don't, it's just, it's shut down. Whereas here at the office, it's like, I'm, you know, I get a, a chance to have a podcast and the doors closed, but you know, right now there's somebody on the other side of the door who wishes he could knock in and yeah. come in and ask a question. Just waiting, waiting right. for that door to open. I'm the same way with our CEO. It's the same thing. It's like, well, you're always on a call and now is a very small period of time where I'm not on a call. I need you like right now. And I got to wait, uh, <laughs> but I'm the same way, man. That's the, and the most bullshit part about being an adult is that you can't do that anymore comfortably. Like that's my problem is when I was a teenager, it was nothing. I'd stay up till two, three o'clock in the morning. Oh, I need to go do hard labor at 6 a.m. All right, cool. Three hours of sleep. I'm ready to rock right. and roll. <laughs> right. Now I wake up to that alarm at six o'clock and I'm like, oh my God, my back hurts. My neck is all messed up from how I slept. Like, how am I going to get out of bed? I can't even, <laughs> you know, it's crap. It's total crap. But I'm the same way. Like I'm sitting there in the middle of the night and Andrew gets on to me about it. He's like, you need to set boundaries. Like you work from eight to five. That's it, man. Don't be answering client emails at 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, but I want to get this done. I want to get it off my plate. So 11 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. I think it's an entrepreneur thing. You just never know yeah. when we're going to have that time. And especially you can relate having kids. It's right. like, I don't want to take away from my kids time with me. So right. I wait till they go to bed and then I spend a, you know, an hour, hour and a half with my wife before she goes to bed. And then when she does, it's like laptop out game on, I'm working until midnight, 1230. And then I wonder why I'm struggling to wake up at seven. Right. It's like, well, cause you're old now, <laughs> you know, you got to fix. <laughs> you're not you old. Wait, you're something. not old. Oh, you're not old yet. It. But yeah. I'm getting better though. I am trying to go to bed earlier and make sure I get, I downloaded this really cool app called Rise. And so I'm, I'm looking at my sleep deficit, how much I owe myself mm. uh, in sleep debt so that I know like, hey, you're really screwing yourself up here. You owe yourself six hours this week. And then I'll take that time on a Saturday and be like, hey, I'm not waking up till 11, 1130. Like I'm sleeping all the way in today and getting caught up on my sleep and then try to go to bed a little earlier so it's easier to wake up in the morning. Plus- I'm losing weight and eating better. So that makes me sleep well, there you better. Go. You know, that's helping out. That's too. a huge part of it. And, and I know we went on a big tangent there. We're here that's to talk okay. about Matson. Man, you said it was is, okay to talk tangents. Hey, that's you're fine. right. I did. You're right. But I want to know your origin story, man. Where did you come from and how did you get into such a really cool space? So, dude, I've been all over the place. Like I, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a natural entrepreneur. Yeah. I'd like to say I was a serial entrepreneur, but generally when somebody says they're a serial entrepreneur, they're ones that actually have a bunch of successful companies. Like I just had a bunch of things that I like to, I'm a dilettante, try a bunch of different things and see what sticks, which I guess is the definition of marketing. Right. Um, and so for me, I started out, I mean, as a kid, I was an artist. I liked doing stuff. I liked drawing things. And I think I started doing my first promotional flyers for people when I was like, 13, 14 years old and just started building it up and just did that. Hey, this is graphic design thing. It's kind of cool, but it wasn't what I intended to be. Like, I think I wanted to be an architect at one point. And then I decided I wanted to be the guy who paid the architect. So I want to be a successful businessman. I grew up in LA 
um, for a good portion from about seven to 13. I lived in LA. Prior to that, I lived in Wairica, California. So I've been kind of all over from the big city to the small towns. But when I was in LA, literally, literally, my goal was to be a starving artist. Like when I was 13 years old, my goal was to go through and I was going to be a starving artist. The guy who lives in the, the loft making paintings and doing all that kind of stuff and like struggling to get through. That's the cool thing to do. <laughs> and then moved to Sacramento. And I don't know what it was about Sacramento water, but all of a sudden I changed to being like, oh, and, and partly it was the fact that the schools here suck. So um, in LA, I was a C student in Sacramento, less effort. I was a straight A student, yeah. but that interest, that, that thing of being all of a sudden a straight A student is like, Oh, Oh, maybe I'm smarter than I thought I was, or maybe I could do more and, or there's more opportunity. And so even though I still was pursuing an art background, it just kept going and kept going. And, and, um, next thing you know, I'm doing artwork for some other people. I'm doing a little brochures and things. I had a little Mac back this. We're talking guys, we're talking the eighties and I had the little Mac classic and I would do little brochures on a tiny, tiny little screen and do little black and white brochures for people. And, and it was just, it was always a sideline just to be able to do a little side hustle. Cause I've in my life, I've always been working. I think I had my first job when I was eight years old. And to me, work was just part of what you did. You, you could do things. I had my first paper route when I was 10. And it was just what you did constantly to, to bring money in. I wasted all that money. I wasn't a smart investor who said, Hey, I'm going to, I knew kids that, you know, 12, 13 years old reading wall street journal and, you know, investing their money. I didn't do that. I was like, dad gave me 50 bucks. I bought a bunch of paint and I had this little toy Tonka truck and I stripped the paint and I did this whole remodel of this. I rebuilt this for no other reason than I could do it. I didn't take the 50 bucks and buy McDonald's stock. Right. I mean, so I just wasted the money, but I had fun. Right. And so we, we just kept doing that, kept doing that. And next thing you know, um, when I was uh, early nineties, I went to Japan, actually 91 and 93. I lived in Japan for a couple of years. I figured you're supposed to learn a language in school. And so I might as well go to the country and try to learn the language. And when I was there, it was the same thing, learning marketing, understanding the Japanese people, ended up having a company there with a Japanese businessman where we were teaching educational programs to Japanese businessmen. Around that time, the, the Japanese economy was starting to collapse. So in the 80s, when the Japanese, it was all about Americans learning how to do business with the Japanese, right? We had to learn how to get the business card from them properly and how to bow and how to go through that. And you, movies like Black Rain were, were popular and, and, um, and it was, what was the Denzel Washington one? Um, Sean Connery, Denzel Washington, really, uh, Michael, um, ah, shoot, what was that one? But those were, it was all the big rising sun. Rising Sun. There you go. So it was the, you know, you had to deal with the Japanese, learn how to do it. Well, when I got there, the economy was starting to collapse. And so what we started teaching the Japanese businessmen was how to do Japanese, how to do business American way, the big handshake, the strong handshake, right? So that was, that was kind of an origin for me of going, you know what, I'm not going to go back to school. I'm not going to spend time in school. I'm just going to do this for a couple of years and come back to America and, and continue to just go and try to do new things. I've been pretty fortunate that I've, I haven't had to work for other people for most of my adult life. Um, there have been times where I said, you know what, I can go get a job. I'm, but at the same time, I've worked graveyard shift jobs at a manufacturing plant just so I can make sure to keep my business go, going during the day. You and I were talking about sleep, right? Well, imagine working you know, eight to 10 hours for your customers, then going, getting a few hours sleep, and then going and working eight to 10 hours at a manufacturing plant, just cutting plastic bottles and stuff like that. That's what I did. But I did that so that I didn't have to go get a straight job. So I didn't have to 
um, uh, just fall into the workaday world, which I didn't really want to do. Right. I wanted to have my freedom. I wanted to experiment. Um, I was pretty fortunate that I was able to bring in enough money to pay the basic things. And I, I had, I had some opportunities, right. Being able to live at home if I needed to, my, my stepfather had a graphic design company, so I was able to work with him or use some of his equipment. And, but at, at one point I was charging people 75 bucks an hour to do graphic design work, knowing that I would, it would take me three hours to do that one hour job. So I'm making 25 bucks an hour, but I'm going down to Kinko's and I'm paying them $3 an hour to use their computers. And that's just how I, I started building the business. And then from there, we just kind of grew um, to the point I had my own graphic design company. Um, I had uh, Mats and Brakey Associates, which was just the graphic design firm. Design Dogs was another brand name we used. We started doing events. Um, we ended up having, at one point, we had four brew fests going in Sacramento. Uh, we were the second oldest brew fest in the region. It became world famous, known as the West Coast Brew Fest, um, to the point where there were mugs being used in Germany that had, you know, award-winning badges on. It's kind of cool when you, when you're yeah. doing a beer festival and some, and a German brewery is going, look, we won the first place for the West coast brew fest. And it was cool doing that. We did that. We did beer festivals. We did, um, music festivals. I did conferences for, for the city. So all the way through my, um, my adult life, it was just trying to find ways of making money on the side doing things, not really trying to build a company as much as just being myself, my freelancer. And of course that was the downfall is that it was just me. If I stopped working, if I needed to go on vacation someplace for two weeks, there was no money coming in because I was the guy heading everything up. I was the creative side of it. I tried hiring employees, but at some point you either go in the graphic design world and we're talking the late nineties, you either were a big shop that had enough of reputation that you could charge $20,000 for a logo design, or you were a small shop like these ones on the internet where it was 99 bucks, right? For a logo design, the in-between was getting squeezed out and I was the in-between. So even though we tried to play the game and get marketing out there and do it, it just, I realized that the, there was an evolution happening that was pushing me out of the market. And I didn't necessarily want to become the $20,000 logo guy. Right. I just wanted to do this and be able to do my own thing, create a graphic design project for somebody, get paid. If I didn't want to do work next week, I didn't have to work next week. Right. If I wanted to go in the office at 10 a.m., I can go in the office at 10 a.m. And I could finish the project, hand over the disc to the customer, and I'm done and then move on to the next thing. So that was just, that was kind of the, the, the impetus of my being able to be a graphic designer, a marketer, have fun with people, learn a lot because we're talking about a world where in the nineties, it started evolving, started seeing the internet, started seeing marketing online and, uh, into the early nineties where it was, okay, what are we going to do now? What's, what's the next thing to go in life? So how, how did you make that leap from, you know, all of that, the, the freelance stuff, the graphic design stuff into metal cloak, you know, what we're here to talk about a little bit later. Um, I'm assuming with this online world that started to, uh, arise, you kind of figured out, well, it, it doesn't always have to be on a disc anymore, right? We can send right. it in different ways. Right. So the, in the, um, it's kind of an interesting story. The brew fest actually was the reason why I'm in this business now in Metal Cloak. Um, I've always loved off-roading, 
right? And I th- but I always thought that I'd be more into like Land Cruisers and and the older style rigs rather than Jeeps. Just Jeeps were cool, but it wasn't the thing that I was always admiring, right? I had friends that had other built rigs. Even in high school, I always remember my friends had uh, off road rigs and they're going off on the Rubicon Trail every weekend and coming back with slashed tires and stuff. But that was their weekend, right? And I worked in service. You know, I worked in service stations growing up. Um, like I said, I've, I've been all over. I've, I've pumped gas. I've I've uh, learned, I learned how to sell from service stations, really learning how to sell, uh, walking up to somebody and saying, Hey, I like your car. Let me look under the hood, sell that oil filter an air filter, sell some oil. I mean, that's just, that was just the origin of, of those little, those little things that you learn in life that end up becoming build up and build up and build up. Anyway, I did a bunch of different things. And one of the things we were doing was the beer festivals. A guy walks up to me one day and says, hey, I was calling around and asking, who should I talk to about beer festivals? And your name came up. The local radio station said, you got to talk to Matson. He's the guy. If you want to talk about beer in Sacramento, he's the guy. Okay, cool. So we sat down at a restaurant and he introduced himself. His name was Doug Powell and that he was doing a what's called the National Golf League. Now, at the time, the National Golf League was a team-based golf league. He was very close. He is the type of guy who could have gone pro. He could have gone pro. He made a bunch of money in his previous business in, in the backflow market, built it up, sold the business, had a bunch of money, and decided he wanted to try golf since he was really, really good at it. But he realized he loved his family too much. He didn't want to be gone on the road so much. So he formed the National Golf League with a few other guys. And what it was was um, almost like Ryder Cup style in that you have a team happening where everybody's wearing matching jerseys, but it had a different element to it. In other words, if you were out uh, playing golf on the green, for instance, it, the audience was encouraged to get loud, to get rowdy about it. It wasn't this quiet little golf clap. Yay. It was get rowdy, go after it, heckle your opponents. Um, it was fun. So we did a little, we did a beer festival around the golf tournament. He was using the P, the uh, Phoenix Open as the model, which if you've ever seen the Phoenix Open, it is a massive, massive party. It's like 300,000 people at the end. When, on the 18th hole, there are these giant tents that are built by Budweiser and, and, and all the and Coors and all the other different companies where it's just a massive party. 300,000 people come out you know, the the golf is over and they just hang out for hours, just drinking and having fun. Well, he wanted to do that same sort of thing, but in the smaller scale. So we found a local park that had a golf course. And at the ninth hole, we put a beer fest around there. We did that for a couple of years. And then one day I'm talking to him. He says, Hey, I have this other little project. And him and his best friend had just bought a small little company called Rev 111 out of Southern California that had been closed for a year, but it had a couple of interesting parts and asked me to come over and take a look at it. Well, they're both engineers. Doug's an engineer. Aaron Colaccia, my other partner, he's an engineer. They're not marketing and sales. And so they needed a partner to come in to play the marketing and sales game, right? At the time, I still had the beer festivals. I still had the, the music festivals and all this other stuff going on. I said, well, I'm very busy. Well, consult us. So in the beginning, I just consulted on what we could, what we could do, make sure the website was working. And they really had this vision of being a direct-to-consumer company, which at the time the, was not popular in our industry. Um, we're talking, you know, this was, this was 2009. The economy was going to heck. Um, 
we were just trying to get out of recovery on this. So January 5th, 2009, we sat down and we started the company. But the direct-to-consumer world was not big within the off-road market. Most companies and most entrepreneurs would start building a product. And most of them, they'd start in their garage, right? They, they might be building something and they think it's kind of cool and their friends think it's cool. And then they make two and they make four and then they make five and they build it up um, and they turn that into a business. And then the first thing they do is they get a phone call from Transamerica, one of the big companies at the time, said, we'd like to carry your product. And they go, oh yeah, we hit gold. Well, not really, because ultimately you start giving a big percentage of your profits to that company, right? They want the 25% discount, the 30% discount, the 40% discount. Oh, and by the way, we pay in 60 days or 90 days, not 30 days. And we didn't want to go down that model. One, I wanted to control the relationship with the customer. I wanted to talk directly to the customer. I wanted to have the connection to the customer because I know I'm going to give the best customer service I can. So we built a direct-to-consumer model and they needed my help in making sure that the website was working well and, and that. So we, we did all that. And it worked out really good because as we started building it, they wanted me to come on full-time and said, I can't do that. I had a, a, a trip planned. I went and did 125 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail with my father. So that's, that was more important. We were supposed to do that in 2008. We ended up doing it in 2009. We did 125 miles Pacific Crest Trail. It was beautiful. Came back from that and decided to join the company full-time and become one of the partners. Um, and it's just been a, a ride ever since. I mean, it's been a rocket ride. We started out with three products. We have over 1,400 products now. Man, that is exciting. And I mean, of course, the reason that I geek out about the opportunity to interview you and learn more about the company is because Metal Cloak is you know, obviously a really good quality supplier for Jeeps, you know, and of course, as we talked about before the show, the only thing that a Jeeper is going to do is empty every pocket and it's going to go straight to <laughs> modifications right? Uh, because, you know, there's very few people, I think the very young teenagers and then the soccer moms that want a cool looking Jeep, they're the ones who buy a Jeep and keep it stock. The rest of us were like, all right, cool. Fenders are going to go. Tires are going to go. Uh, it's going to get lifted. We're going to have new side rails. Like all of these changes are going to be made to it. So for the listener, that's not a geek about Jeeps, tell us kind of an overview of exactly what metal cloak has to offer. I know, obviously, like you said, a lot of products, but, um, basically why we should come to you and why you're such a resource for the community. Well, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, when we're building products, it's easy to build products there's a lot of people doing it right and then there's a lot of competition in our world we try to be the premier product uh, provider of our market um, we build products we don't charge cheap for them they're manufactured right here in the usa i'm standing i'm sitting in an office inside of a seventy thousand square foot facility full of machines that allow us to take a raw piece of metal from that point through the process to a finished product that we can ship and we do that every day we like to have American-made products. There's a lot of companies online. You go to Amazon, you start looking for products for it, and you find these companies that are just, all they're doing is getting made in China and shipped over here. You could probably find our product in China. Several times a, a week, I'll get a, a message from somebody saying, hey, look at the products you can make, and I look on there, and one of their products is a knockoff of ours, right? And that's just the challenge. So you have American-made products right here that are designed specifically for the off-road enthusiasts by off-road enthusiasts. And I don't say just Jeep lovers. It used to be just about the Jeeps, but we make stuff for the Ram. We make stuff for the Toyotas. We make stuff for the Bronco now, the new Bronco. Because if you want to go off-road and you want to actually enjoy your rig and you want to have the, the feeling 
of safety and security when you're out on the trail that you're going to be able to go out and get back again. You're not going to break on the trail, right? A lot of guys with the new Broncos are running into problems. Tie rods are breaking. And so the amount of confidence you have in your rig goes down. The thing you have when you're out wheeling, whether you're just doing a dirt road or you're going over landing for several weeks, or you're going and going some massive rock crawling up some big waterfall and you're doing some extreme stuff is you have to have confidence in that vehicle. I don't care if you're just driving across country in your, in your, in your Toyota Corolla, you have to have confidence in that vehicle is going to get you there. So we try to build products that give that confidence, right? We went from doing body armor of just fender suspension or fenders, rockers, bumpers to full on suspension. And now we're one of the premier suspension companies in the industry. We had some great patented products that Doug was able to create. He's just a brilliant mind. He has something like 30 patents to his name now. Wow. Um, and several of those are medical patents from our six pack shocks to our Duraflex joints, things that really helped us stand out. But it wasn't just that it was a patented product that was cool and gave us better market. They actually did a great function. They made the ride quality different. A lot of people within our industry will say, well, you know, this doesn't, what you make doesn't really change the ride quality. Well, those are people that just don't know. You sit in a Jeep that doesn't have our suspension, you drive that, then you sit in a Jeep that does have our suspension, and there is a significant difference in the ride quality. I don't care what a, suspension A is, when you put suspension, suspension B, you put metal cloak suspension on, it's just different. It's a better ride quality. I like to say that we we can drive down the freeway like a Cadillac, corner like a sports car, and still going off-roading with the best of them. And that was been our goal, right? So we just build quality products that meet the needs, expectations, and desires of our customers to have what used to be a vehicle that maybe you built up and you didn't really drive it every day because if you did, it was kind of a lousy drive. Maybe you had another car for driving back and forth to work and you took your Jeep out on the weekends. To now, everybody is spending a lot of money on their Jeeps. The JK, the JL, the JT, which for our listeners, the, the JK Wrangler, the, the original four-door Wrangler that came out, the JL is the new four-door Wrangler. There's a two-door and four-door version. And the JT is the Jeep truck or the uh, Gladiator, which these all these rigs now are fairly expensive compared to the early versions, right? And because of that, people want them as their daily drivers. So you have to build a suspension and a system that when they do the upgrades, they can take them on the road. They can commute with them every single day. They can go out on the trail on the weekend and still have it running Monday morning when they have to go to work. Like that's the big impetus for us. And that's what we've achieved. You can take a, a vehicle over here on the Rubicon Trail on Friday evening, take it up there, go all the way through, play the weekend. And on Monday morning, it feels the same as it did Friday. It doesn't feel different. And that sounds kind of like, well, of course it should, but that didn't exist before. By the time you got on Monday, you felt like things were, you had to take it in, have it worked on, things were loose, things had to be lubricated. It just wasn't the same vehicle. One of my fa favorite customers used to commute from Sacramento to San Francisco every day. So he'd leave in the morning and he wheeled his rig, he wheeled his junk, wheeled the hell out of it on Saturday and Sunday. And it still had to be ready to go commute to San Francisco, which is an hour, hour and a half drive every single day back and forth. So being able to do that and customers being able to have that vehicle, have that daily driver and still be able to go off and play off road was a huge part of our focus. And I, and I think we've achieved it and our, our customers say so.
Yeah, that's something I can speak to because that's exactly the only reason I own a Jeep is because of the fact that my commute is less than five minutes, no matter where I'm going for work that day. Um, otherwise, I would be miserable in that thing. You know, it's got 37 inch tires. Um, I think it's a two and a half inch lift. And then all of the suspension work that I have had done is just to kind of repair the damage that's already been done, you know, the normal right. stuff, but I love Jeep. I'm a Jeep fan. So I'm not bashing them by any means, but the reason I own a sport is because I knew if I bought a Rubicon, a, I'm going to pay a whole bunch of money to it. And B I'm still going to want to change all of the suspension work, all of the, like the only thing that really would come with a Rubicon that'd be worth it for me is lockers. And it's like, right. well, I'm not, really that worried about oh and then the electronic sway bar disconnect and it's like those things are cheaper than the 10 15 20 thousand dollars extra you're going to pay for the rubicon package and right. still have to change out all of the tire suspension the guts the internals that actually matter when it comes to getting on um, you know a rock or getting out there in the mud or whatever the case may be i love jeep but I, I don't have it because it rides like a Cadillac. I have it because of what it can do. And <laughs> right. what's speaking to me about metal cloak is that I did just have a bunch of suspension work done and I am wanting to make it a little nicer of a ride. And you're hundred percent correct. If I lose that Jeep, I lose my daily driver, you know? So um, I've got to have something that I can depend on to be reliable, not only when I'm out there wanting to have fun with my wife and kids, but also when I'm just wanting to get to work and make a living. Right. I was on a wheel, uh, a trip with some guys once in, in this, and it was, I call it the 24 hours of Fordyce. Fordyce is a great trail out here. It's very difficult. It has five winch hills and a winch hill for our listeners is a, is, as it says, it's a hill that most likely you're going to have to pull the winch. The winch of course, is that big machine on the front of the bumper that has a big line on it and it has enough power to pull your vehicle if you get stuck. So it has five winch hills and your bypasses for some of them, but even some of the bypasses are sketchy, right? So this, this event, this 24 hours of Ford ice, it's usually Ford ice is just a one day trip. Well, we went out there and we went with a group and I had my, at that time it was my 93 Jeep, which is an old white, what we call a YJ Wrangler. Um, and it was fun. We could do that. But one of the guys with us had just bought a Ford Ranger and it was a, it was a bit of a hybrid built, but it had been built and it could wheel, but he didn't really want to go. And he wasn't a friend of mine. It was a friend of somebody else who, who convinced him to go, but this was his daily driver. And as we were going up, he made a mistake and he flopped on his side. Well, the process in flopping on the side actually broke something else that, that was critical. So because nobody did a tech inspection to make sure that his rig was safe to go wheeling or the things were strapped down and it wasn't, his battery wasn't strapped down. Okay. So we spend several hours fixing it. Generally, you might say, well, we're going to, we're going to try to fix this, but we might just put it aside and come back later, but he needed it. It's his daily driver. And then we went up to another location where it broke again, because again, it was a fairly new rig. I like to say that if you buy somebody else's build, sometimes you're buying somebody else's problems. And in this case, that was the case. He bought somebody else's built rig. Welds weren't strong enough. Welds broke, whatever. We waited another four or five hours on the side of the road, like trying to fix this on the trail so that he could keep going. And was finally, it started getting dark. We're just, okay, sorry, we're going to park it. We'll do what we can to help you recover it. But you if you're going out, you have to have the confidence you're, that you can go out and go wheeling and still be able to use your rig. Cat, catastrophes happen. There are times something might break that shouldn't have broken, or maybe you roll over because you make a mistake and that's fine. But 
if in your daily life, if you want to go out and play on the weekends and be a weekend warrior, you're right. You have to be able to know that on Monday I can do the things and I can go to my job and actually pay for the rig that I just played with. And that's what we want to provide to our customers. Yeah. I've seen it happen, man. We, uh, I mean, I say big, it's, it's a nice park that we have here in Texas that we all went to. And I actually wanted to give, um, of course I'm drawing a blank on the name now. Is that, uh, was that Hidden Valley or something? Hidden like that? Valley, yes. Yeah, you. Hidden Valley. Yeah. Yeah. That was I like, haven't been down there, but but uh, I have some friends in Marble Falls. Yeah, Marble Falls is beautiful. Um, that park is amazing. It was like the first true off road park that I ever went to after I got my Jeep. Mm. And it was a ton of fun. You know, we stayed on the one, two, three diamond trails where it's not super crazy or anything. Because again, <laughs> right. I was still Smart. kind of in that off roading 101. Like I grew up in the country, so we went mudding and stuff. But out here where I live in Texas, it's kind of a lot of flatland. It's not really um, the hills and valleys and mountains and stuff that you get on right. the other side. And right. so we have a lot of like flat spots that you can go mudding, you can go off roading, you can climb over trees that have fallen in the parks and, you know, that kind of stuff, but not really rock climbing. So that was my mm -hmm. first introduction to it. And this couple had this really nice Jeep that they've done a lot of, um, you know, building on and modifications to. And we were just going through a mud puddle, which of course we all know can be absolutely deadly to the underside of your uh, Jeep. If you haven't been right. through it, well, me, I'm new. I'm an idiot. I love it. I go through it. I've got a little bit more of a lift than they have. So I go through it just fine, burn it right. And when I'm in the middle of it, just slinging mud and water and stuff everywhere, they come across not even acting as crazy as me. And then boom, they just hit something. The whole axle snaps. They had to oh. be towed home. Luckily, their mechanic was actually Ooh. there on this trip with us. Uh, oh, they had to wow. be towed home. And then they're like, well, I don't know how we're going to get home because we can't wow. even ride with him. He's got a full truck. And I was like, well, I've got two empty seats in the back of my Jeep. So you're going to hop in the back of my Jeep and I'm going to take you. And I'd never met these people before until this event. But that's kind of how, you know, I know we get made fun of for being Jeepers and whatnot, but that's how we are. Right. That is right. Like if you're not upholding that, you will get smoked inside of the Facebook groups really quickly. Like people are yeah. pissed off when you don't wave at them on the road. Right. That's how friendly oh, yeah. we are. <laughs> I was working on a book called the, the beginner's guide to Jeeping. And chapter one was about the Jeep wave. Um, it, because yeah, it, it the reason the, the Jeep wave, sure. It's a fun thing to do, but the reality is that <clears throat> you have a, a world there, a community, and that community is very much in support of each other. We, we get on the trail, like there's a lot of competitors and there are guys that I compete with in this industry who I'm happy to go and put a video that just absolutely destroys their product. That's just what we do to point out. And we do it with fairness. We do it with technology. I don't just go and say, he's ugly. I go and say, ours works X, yours works Y. This is why ours is better, right? It's all by tech and technology. Yeah. We we've always tried to keep it about the technology, but we will compete. And he will just as easily go on Facebook and say, Matson's an asshole. I mean, it's just, that's, that's the word, but on the trail, if he's sitting there and needs my help, I'm there to help him. Right. We have on the trail, Jeepers help Jeepers. We, and off-roaders help off-roaders. Let's be clear. Absolutely. There's a lot of off-roaders that we're dealing with a whole new world now with the, uh, with UTVs, <clears throat> especially guys renting UTVs or don't really understand etiquette. Um, and there's really nobody out there saying like, Hey, here's the etiquette for using a UTV on the trail, or here's an etiquette for being on the trail as Jeepers. 
we kind of work our way into it. You start with a rig that maybe is, you started out your rig was stock and you went out there and you played with it and you kind of learned a little bit. And then you, you join, maybe join a Jeep club and you learn a little bit more and you build your rig up and you learn a little bit more. That's been historically how we've, we've evolved to understand the etiquette and understand the rules in the trail. Now you have guys who will spend, you know, $60,000 on their Jeep and then another $40,000 building it up. They have a $100,000 rig and they have no skills. They don't know. Or a guy who spends $30,000 on a UTV and the whole big setup and all that. And he's got the toy trailer and all that. And he goes out with his, and they just think that it's just like motorcycles. We're just going to run and have fun. Unfortunately, you've got to realize there's a lot of people out there on the trail. We're all here to help each other. Any one of us at any one moment of time could be in peril. That is dangerous. It could be deadly. There's, there's, it could be you're there to help somebody else. It could be something happens to you. We never know. Something could always go wrong. So you're there to help everybody and learn. And the beautiful, I mean, as a firefighter, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of what you're, you see at any one moment in life, it can change on a dime Mm -hmm. if you're not careful. So why don't we all be careful? Why don't we all help each other? To that end, we started skills day. Gosh, it must have been 10 years now. We started doing a training twice a year. It's called skills day. It's registrations open right now for the next one coming up, which is, uh, in April, I think it's April. Uh, what is it there? April 25th or was that, was that 29th actually April 29th. Um, and the skills day is a, um, is an event where we train and we can only, it's limited to hundred Jeeps, but we train brand new Jeep owners on how to use our rig. And they go through a number of different training scenarios. We're trying to export this across the country. Hidden Valley is one of the ones that we're going to try to do it at um, a couple of places in Tennessee. There's other different places we're looking at trying to do this. But the whole idea of Skills Day is that an individual who just bought their Jeep and has no idea what it is can go through and learn and get confidence in their rig and understand the basics of etiquette. They go through stations where they learn about trail etiquette. They learn about uh, trail use. They learn about tread lightly and, and, and cleaning up after yourself. They learn all these different things they need to know in their mind about what it is to be a jeeper. Then they actually get in their Jeep and they go through a, a series of trainings from going through some sand to understanding what lockers are, understanding what the sway bar does, going down a dirt hill, going up a rocky hill, right? Putting and just playing this, learning how to spot or be spotted and just the safety to the point where when they're done and it only takes about four or five hours when they're done, they have confidence and they go, I understand. When I first did the, t- the, the training, the very first year, a guy walked up to me and he goes, Hey, um, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I've had my Jeep for three months and I don't know how to put it in four wheel drive. And I went bingo. This is why, because the dealerships out there, not all of them, but most of the dealerships out there, the salesman doesn't care if he's selling a JK to the guy or JL or JT or Jeep, basically, or if he's selling a, a Dodge SRT, right? The combined dealership means that that guy doesn't care what he's selling you. He just wants the paycheck. He's going to take care of you, get it. He gets his paycheck and he goes. Not all are Jeep dealerships. There's quite a few that are actually really good. But um, for the most part, people are going out there buying Jeeps and nobody teaches them how to use it. So we came up with Skills Day. And it's and unfortunately, we can only do 100 at a time. But there's thousands of Jeeps being sold. So I hope that when we do it, we also touch somebody enough that then when they see a Jeeper, they instill that into them and so on and so on and so on. And it it grows to the point where maybe we have enough people out there using their Jeep that we don't have 
devastating episodes because we've seen them. They've popped up in the news where somebody makes a mistake on Big Bear Pass in Colorado or the Jeep ends up down at the bottom of the hill, right? And a crumbled mess because they weren't listening. They didn't understand or they thought they could do something that Google said they could do but they shouldn't have been there in the first place. I owe Hidden Falls Adventure Park an apology because I literally know about the park. Hidden I've Falls. been to it. I love it. Yeah, I had to look it up while you I were I kept talking. saying Hidden Valley. Yeah. I know. I was Hidden. like, ah. Oh. And then when you said I get Marble a mix. There's a, there's a park down here called Hungry Valley that we're looking at doing something. It's down by the Grapevine gotcha. near LA. So I was getting the two of them mixed up. Yep. Yeah. Hidden Falls. No, I, I love Hidden Falls, man. Great. Thank you for looking it up. Great group of people out there for sure. But I love what you talked about. Two things about what I love what you said was the whole competition thing, you know, because one, the fact that y'all do service multiple people, because like the CEO here at Beefy, he has a Ram. Uh, he's into the overlanding stuff. So he's always wanted to kind of make it an overlanding rig. And then my driver at the fire department, he drives a Toyota. And uh, the competition among all of them is so real, but yet the brotherhood or sisterhood is still there as well, because you're a hundred percent correct. Like I love bashing on Toyotas, but at the end of the day, <laughs> right. I love my buddy. I'll hop in that Toyota with him anytime and I'll pull him out when he gets stuck and I will give him a hard time about it. I have no problem doing that. You know, and same thing with the Ram. I mean, it, it's a fully capable truck depending on what you buy and how you outfit it and that kind of thing. And it's just friendly. What Ram does he have? I think it's a 2500 diesel Texas edition. Oh, nice. I believe. Well, you know, we do make a suspension for that. Yeah. I, hey, I'm with you, man. Like I, the biggest thing that's going to hurt my wife's feelings about this show is that I'm going to do so much more research than I already have on Metal Cloak for all the things I need for my Jeep. Um, because, you know, we don't have much to empty out of the pockets, but I am definitely going to spend some money because you got to, you got to do something, man. You got to make it yours. That's the big thing. But I, I love the well, just remember said, we do have a, we do have a military discount that we apply to first responders. So, nice. you know, you, that's amazing. And, and of course, you know, we're friends now, so we got to take care of our friends. Hey, I'm down with that. You know, we'll slap a logo on the back of it. We'll wrap the Jeep in metal cloak. I don't care. <laughs> I'm always looking for a sponsorship, you know, but right. I, I love how you said, you know, you get out there on the trails with one of your biggest competitors and you're still there to help them when they need help. And I'm just like, you need to carry spare parts with you so that when something of his breaks, you can just replace it for him with a metal plate part <laughs> and then just get that ultimate dig in there. You know, it's like turning the knife after you stab somebody. It's I, I love it. I love it. You know, I'm going to have to make sure guys that we always have tie rods in, in, in available. And, 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 you know, that's, that's funny. That's funny. You're absolutely right. I couldn't really have asked I me. Mean, it's been 14 years now since we, we just had our 14th year anniversary on, uh, on January 5th. Um, and it's just, it's been a fun ride. And, and the cool thing about it is we're constantly evolving as, as a marketer. Um, and it, the sales side of it is easy. We have, when you have great product, right? I have a very small sales team. We're still a direct to consumer company. Most of our sales happen online because we spend the time to build a great website. Um, and you're just talking about just the, this, that side of, of it is that you, you, you have to understand what your consumer wants but you also have to be willing to give them information, empower them to make decisions. If you go to our website, nobody touches us as far as the amount of information supplied. I don't, that's across the board. I mean, I can go to anybody's website out there and look for a product and there's some description, some data and stuff, but you go to our website and it's just, if you haven't taken the time to scroll down on the product all the way down, you're missing a lot of information because there's images and data and information about every aspect of our products. And we want to provide all that. We want the consumer to be able to make a decision. I've always said that we had the smartest customers in the industry, not just because, well, they chose us, but because what it took to choose us, 
we didn't spend a lot of money on advertising. My marketing, what I spent on marketing is minuscule compared to what our sales are. And I did that specifically because I wanted to make sure that we are organically growing as a company. We're growing because we have great products because they're, people are willing to talk about it. We have what's called the Medical Owners Club. It's a Facebook group, but it is a group of people who are just so, so dedicated in the medical product that they want to share and talk to other people about it. They can, we have a whole program where they can request a medical owners club canopy to be sent to them where they can go to an event, pop up the club canopy and just hang out with other Jeepers and just, you know, they hang out, they can drink beer, whatever. They're not repping metal cloak. They're just out there hanging out um, and talking about their product. Well, that to me is more valuable every single day than a Google ad. So in, in our development of, of what we built in our customer service and our, in our, in our sales, it has always been about making sure that we're there for the customer, that the customer is, is able to learn from us and that the customer is making decisions based on the information they see. And not just because we had the coolest ad or we had a bunch of beefy guys or we're really cool because we race and we don't race, right? We don't, that's just not us. So we're not selling product because of our affiliation with anything. We're selling product because we have genuinely good product that give people and improve their jeeping lives. Yeah. That's what's important to me is knowing what it is that I need to buy. So one of the questions I have is with those salespeople that you employ, is this somewhere that I can go and kind of say, okay, I've got a 2017 Jeep Wrangler. It's a JK. Um, 37 inch tires, 22 inch rims, two and a half inch list. Here's a kind of a parts list of the things that have been done to it. I am looking to improve my capabilities wheeling or uh, mudding or whatever the case may be. And so it's like knowing that I have stock parts here, these aftermarket parts here, can you give me kind of an idea of, all right, you know what, stage one, if you're wanting to get out on the rocks, then let's put some lockers in and let's put some uh, you know, electronics sway bar disconnects in and let's sell you, you know, I'm not sure what products you have, but it's like, let's sell you this little basic needs kit that you have uh, that you're going to need when you're out there. And like, this is your, your stage one of getting set up. And then stage two is you want to be able to hit those five diamond trails. So we're going to get you all the suspension work that you need and you're going to re-gear to this. And like, here's your comprehensive plan of products to buy from us and when to buy them and that kind of thing. Or is it just mainly I need to educate myself as a consumer and know what I want to do? The beautiful thing about the internet is that there's lots of information out there. The beautiful thing about the internet is that there is a lot of problems out there. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of misinformation too. Um, so we sell Metal Cloak products first. And what we have is Metal Cloak, what we manufacture, what we develop, everything here, right? We're, we haven't, there may be one or two things we sell that are, are not manufactured by us. That was just a convenience thing. That being said, yes, you could call our sales guy and, and my sales guys are not commissioned based on, um, on a single sale, right? They don't, they're not like, oh, I have to get you. I've got you on there. I'm going to close you. I'm going to make a commission today. They're not paid that way right? They're paid based on the growth of the company and the more that we are doing as a, as a company, right? That's how they're paid. So the more we do, the better we are. So if they, if you call them up and you spend 45 minutes talking to them about your current setup and what you're doing, they're going to definitely help you do a plan. Some of that's going to include medical products. Some of it's not going to include medical products, but yeah, you're probably going to want to do this or, Hey, here's the, here's the, the lockers we recommend, or here's a winch you should probably get. You know, these are the ones we think are good. And then you need to find a way to get that and do that. Now, 
a lot of, if you'd like to wrench yourself, great. Medical products are designed for you to be able to wrench yourself in your garage, be able to do it for the most part. There are only a few of our products that require welding. We just released several long arm kits that are all bolt on right? They just require drilling, no welding. So because of that, you could do it in your garage, right? And that's our goal is to constantly build stuff that you can do yourself in your garage if you wanted to. But we have over um, 400 active, over 1,100 total, but over 400 active authorized installers that are on our map right now where you can go and find an authorized installer near you. In fact, there's one right at the foot. If you you remember going to um, Hidden Falls as you were turning into the park, there's a shop right at the entrance. Um, and I was going to, unfortunately, now I'm like, oh, I better mention who the shop is as I'm looking up on our own map. That shop, that's what they're there for, right? They're there to say, hey, we're happy to do the build for you. We're happy to take you from one step to another. You start adding things like lockers. It's not really something you want to do yourself. Lockers require a professional to do it. Um, you know, unless you know somebody who's really good with gearing and stuff, you want to do lockers or, or a professional job. Um, how, whatever else you want to add in there, those are those little things to build up your rig. Some can be done yourself. Some can be done by a professional. But our guys are there to help, right? Our guys are here to be your expert, your friend. Our only goal is that at some point we're on your build list. If that's six months from now, fantastic. If that's two years from now, great. And we're not here to say, dude, you just called me and I'm not going to get you off the phone until you drop two grand on a product. That's not our job. Our job is, and as from a pure marketing standpoint, I love this phrase and it's not mine. I can't claim it, but I think it was Seth Seth Godin who said, the goal is to turn strangers into friends and friends into customers, right? That's what we want to do. So our first step is to take anybody who calls us and, and make a friend out of you. That's our goal. If at some point you want to buy from us, well, that's awesome. But the first step is, hey, give us a call. Let's see if we can become friends. Absolutely. I mean, that's somebody we follow. We were just talking about him yesterday with the Ad World Conference 2023 that's coming up, and he's one of the speakers. And I, I love that quote because that's kind of the motto that we live by here personally, but myself as someone in the marketing space and a salesman as well is exactly that. Like, I don't want to just sell you on something because if you're not happy, then we're not going to have a relationship afterward and be friends. And even, even if you want to just look at it from a selfish perspective, how do you ever expect to capitalize on that relationship and make more money in the future if they're not satisfied with you and not friends with you and want to spend money with you? People like me, I'm kind of an empath. And then I love just making connections and, and having more friends that I can count on. I want to have that relationship, even if you don't wind up buying something from me, that's perfectly fine. How can we benefit each other in the future? That's always what I'm thinking is, how can we help each other make a crap ton of money? And that may be you spending $2,000 a month with me to get you know some great marketing services, or that may be me spending money with you, or we just both do one thing that doesn't cost either one of us a dime, but benefits each other in the end. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing about the world we live in, there's lots of options. You know, on a, on a little side hustle I was doing for a little while, it's not really a hustle, it was just something I was experimenting with. <clears throat> As I went on a fiber, and I had just turned 50 years old, I'm like, you know, I want to try something different. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, and I wanted a fiber, and I set myself up as <clears throat> I'm willing to share an hour of my time to help you with your idea for a c- price of a cup of coffee. So it's a fi- for five bucks, you could sign up with me. And we're doing sit down and talk, and I would do two 30-minute sessions. Now, I had this idea that maybe I could do that and record them and maybe that would turn into a YouTube channel or something. So I did that for about six months. 
Um, and it was fascinating. Met all kinds of amazing people who, from around the world who had ideas or who had started a project and just wanted some feedback from a basic website improvements. And yeah, you know, as a marketing guy, I got a thousand ideas a day, right? And I can't implement all of them. Um, so I thought, well, because I have, I'm such an idea guy, let's see if I can help some other people with their ideas, you know, where they could go telling them, teaching them how to build a Slack channel to, to bring in their true fans and, um, or things they could do to improve the site or things they could do to differently. And it was a lot of fun. And, it, you know, anybody who wants to get into the idea of building up their own fan base, whether you have a podcast or have a, um, or have a show or have marketing Fiverr places like Fiverr are great places to do it. You know, you put a little bit of time out there and you start out with $5 and then maybe one day it's, it's $15. And the next thing you know, you're at a point where people are willing to pay you a hundred dollars for your, your hour or your time, or even a half hour of your time. Um, just because you've got so many clients and so many people and you've gotten so well practiced on it and you have so many, so much of a base that now you can make a living consulting people and helping people with their ideas. And you know, the beautiful thing about that and beautiful thing about being a consultant, because I've been a political consultant, that's a whole nother life. <laughs> um, and is, is you don't have to be right. <laughs> you know, the, the beautiful thing about consulting is you're there to help people and expand their ideas. And if you're doing it right, you're not telling them what to do. You're giving them an avenue and getting them some education so they can make their decisions. Because many times we get into writer's block or, or designer's block or just entrepreneur's block, but we don't know what the next step is. And you get so sucked into the day-to-day, -day, right? You know what this is like. You get sucked into the day-to-day -day activity that you can't step away and have the overall view. I'm fortunate that I have two partners. And one of them, you know, Doug, his job is as the chairman of the board is to step away. He doesn't do the day-to-day. He steps back and he sees the big picture and he's predicting where we're going to be two years from now, four years from now, six years from now. He told me two years ago that Amazon's going to become a search engine, that it's, you know, that, that two years ago, four years ago, even saw us that Amazon will be evolved to the point where it's more of a search engine for people than it is even a marketplace. And so companies that started using Amazon to, to focus their energies and put some effort into it, we sell on Amazon. It's not a big part of our sales. <clears throat> but we do see it as a source of people learning about us. Um, so we put a lot of our small products on there. And to the, you know, Amazon today is saying exactly what he was saying two, three years ago. So it's, it's being able to sit, step away from it. But you, as a single entrepreneur, have to do that as well. You have to step back. And sometimes I call it the executive walk. You step away and you just kind of look at your world from an exterior point of view you don't, you take a walk outside, look at, look at what you're doing. If you have a business and a storefront, walk outside, walk away, walk around the block, approach your building from a different point of view, from a customer's point of view, and try to think of it as a, a customer. How does it look when a customer walks in? You might discover some things from, that you hadn't really noticed because you go there every single day, you do the job every single day, and you're just trying to get through and survive, and you don't take the time to figure out how you can get to the next level. By the way, it's Jones Jeep Auto Parts stores right there at the entrance to the Hidden Falls Adventure Park. Gotcha. We'll put that in the show notes as well, you know, with everything else to kind of give them a little shout out on the show here. Um, but I think everything you're talking about is typical leadership stuff, too, you know, because that's I think we forget as leaders that we're supposed to be consultants. Like that's mm -hmm. what we do for our employees. It's not to micromanage them and tell them, hey, do X, Y, Z. It's to tell them, hey, I'm expecting X, Y and Z to happen. 
however you're going to get that job done, that's what I pay you for. Otherwise, why are you working in your own company and giving them every single step of the way? Now, setting them up with a good process is different. But if you're Mm -hmm. having to tell them, I need you to arrive at 8 a.m., I need you to make this phone call by this time, I need you to do this, do that, do this. Why why aren't you just doing it? By the time you're sitting there telling them all these things, you need to be that sounding board that says, hey, I hired you for your expertise. These are the expectations I have. And then when they come to you as that leader, your job is to consult them and do exactly what you're saying. And that's be the idea board that they don't always have because they're caught in the weeds. That's their job is to be in the weeds. You're flying over looking down. And so when they come and say, I don't understand why I didn't get a sale this month. I called 10 people. I emailed 10 people. I did this. And you're supposed to be the guy or gal sitting back saying, you know what? Have you thought of it from this angle? Have you used this um, type of software yet? Or, you know what, maybe there's a problem in the way I've set you up to do your job. Maybe I need to implement a change as that leader and come in with something a little bit different. Like, I just, I love that idea. It always gets the ball rolling for me and thinking about how we really have to be that team, especially in a partnership. Like you said, when you have three people that are in there, you need them to do different jobs. You need them to have ideas because no, not one of you is a boss per se. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm a partner in this and and partner stands for something. But sometimes you may have to step back and say, I'm going to let you take lead on this because it's your expertise. And I know for a fact, the whole reason you were brought on board was so that they could step back and say, you know what? Marketing is your deal, bro. Figure that out. Let us know what we can do to support you. You know? And it's just, that's what partnerships all about. And it, it transforms everything all the way down to your sales and relationship with your customer too, because right. that's, that's what I need as a customer. I need that salesman to be a consultant for me. And I need to have the trust that I'm not going to call and just be told, yeah, well, let's do, you know, these 500 things that's going to cost you $20,000 because I don't have $20,000 to spend on my rig. I need you to tell me knowing what you have currently and what you're trying to do and knowing your budget is minimal, these are the things that I'm going to point you to immediately because that's what's going to help you the best. I need that trust in that relationship. Well, you know, we have we have those really cool six-pack shocks. And if you haven't seen them, guys, it's they're they're they literally call them six packs of six different tubes. Um, for those that understand they're a long travel compact body. What that basically means is that you're able to have an incredibly high performance shock within a stock location of your vehicle. You just take out your stock shock and put it in. Shocks, by the way, for those who don't know, shocks, of course, are dampeners that are on each corner of your vehicle. And the whole point of them is to be able to control the rebound and the dampening of your vehicle as you're going around corners and and off-road or whatever you're doing. But we have these really cool six-pack shocks. They cost a lot of money. They're cool looking. And some kinds of guys will call us up and say, man, I want this, this, this in my setup and I want the six-packs. And the first thing my guys do is ask the questions like, what do you do? How do you use your vehicle? What are you planning on doing with it? Because I'm not going to sell you the six packs if it's not going to do anything for you, right? You have to have a certain setup. You have to have certain, uh, you have to have certain fender setup. Yeah, there's certain things that you have to have in place if you really do it. Now, if a customer absolutely insists they want it, we will go down in the path of doing it with them, but with caveats and helping them understand what they're doing. But I'd rather them save that $3,000 and have them put that towards something else that actually is more valuable for them in the long run. Better tires, better wheels, other things that will help their performance of your vehicle off-road. We will talk them out of it. We will talk them out of a $3,000 sale for a $400 sale on a set of our rock sport shocks because we know that will be their better long-term performance and they can save that money, right? You were talking about the leadership side. There's one thing that I do 
with my guys, and I learned this a long time ago, is I don't let anybody come to me with problems because when they come to me with problems, I've got my other my own problems. I'm sitting here thinking about other things. I'm trying to solve things, and then I have to shift my brain to solve the problem. Now, I am a problem solver. That's what entrepreneurs are. You're, you're great problem solvers. But you need to be your own problem solver. So I have a little technique. They have to come to me. They have to tell me what the situation is. They have to give me all the information they have about that. And they have to tell me what their, what their solution is. Like, hey, boss, here's the situation, blah, blah, blah. I've got, you know, uh, the customer has a, uh, has a bent shock. Okay. Um, you know, the customer, uh, he, he bought this kit from us a year ago. He's done a lot of good business with us. We really like him. I don't want to have to charge him for a rebuild. Um, I think we should just do a, a warranty replacement on it. Oh, even though it wasn't a warranty problem, it was just something. Okay, cool. They give me the situation, and the data, I can say yes or no. Now I also teach them, you know, part of my job with the sales team is to make sure that they understand what it is their job is and that I've trained them enough that I trust them to make the right decisions. If they make a decision that I don't agree with afterwards, we'll sit down and talk with it. I'm not going to cut them off right now and say, well, call that customer back. That was the wrong decision. We learn, but I know that I've taught them and trained them enough. And the same with any of the other employees in the organization, you teach people how to do a job in a systematic way and they make decisions a systematic way. You hat people on how to do a job. Then you have the trust that they will do that job. And you don't have to be a micromanager. Micromanagers, and I've had a few in my life who have, who have micromanaged me when I've had to go and say, yeah, you know what? I worked for an organization called the Community College Foundation. Had a great boss over there. He retired. And then we had a new, new CEO come in. He was a former colonel, in the, uh, a retired colonel in the Air Force. Pure micromanager. I mean, he just wanted to know everything. And even he's the type of guy that you said, well, you're kind of being a micromanager. Well, if you talk to anybody I've worked with, they'll, none of them will say that. Well, yeah, they're probably scared of you. But micromanagers just don't have confidence in other people because they haven't had the confidence to teach people how to do things. You can always go back and we can always get better and we can always make improvements. But you, you lay the base of education on somebody's lap and they understand the job and they're fully confident in the job even if they come with you with skills, right? Most people that have come with me with skills, I've had to re-educate because they come from a different world or they've learned, they, there are things that they need to understand. I do things differently. But you hat them and then you have the confidence letting them do their job. And then you, you can step back and go, good. Now I know right now I can focus on the future and not have to be worried about what's happening right now on the other side of my wall. That's a key lesson for a leader is knowing that you have to train someone and trust someone enough to do your job. Otherwise, why would you step up to be the leader? You'd just still be doing that job. Like you have to let go of the reins. I, I love that. I think it's a great leadership lesson, but learning lessons about your products and or off-roading in general, are y'all on YouTube, social media, kind of pumping out this information? I'm sure there are advertisements, but I know you mentioned earlier in the show, you're more into, you know, affiliations, like not, advertisement affiliations, but just being brought up in those conversations of like, yes, I love my Jeep and I love how capable it is. And I'm telling people naturally it's capable because X, Y, Z, this is how I use it. You know, you want kind of that natural organic feeling. So are y'all educating more on social media than you are advertising? I'd say so. I think we, we, we've experimented with many of our social media programs right now. If you go to our social media, you'll see that almost every single day, there's a new picture of a Jeep with a little post and some data, right. And, and that's just being consistent 
you know, you've got to be consistent in Instagram. You got to be consistent on, on Facebook. We've kind of played with TikTok a little bit, but TikTok's a totally different animal. Um, and just being consistent with Twitter, we're back on Twitter, playing with Twitter again, because we weren't for a long time. I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was probably, in, I think it was 2007, 2008. Like I started on Twitter and then I, I, after about two years, I got off of it for a long time. And, and, uh, as a company, we're kind of going back onto that platform and play with it. So we do do this, just the standard, Hey, look, cool Jeep, cool Jeep, cool Jeep. At the same time, our YouTube channel is fairly extensive, hundreds and hundreds of videos. We do a video on almost every product. It's called the featured product video. And that educates people as to why we built the product, what it does and what, um, how it can benefit you. Right. Then our install videos, we did a hiatus on install videos for a little while because we needed to hit so many product videos, but now we're starting to do our install videos as well, which are again, in the same kind of format of just and a supplement to, they're not the full on, like a guy standing there doing a, a mechanic, you know, he's doing the work. It's just a supplement to the written instructions and our written instructions have always been very extensive. And then we have the channel, the modern jeeper channel. So modern jeeper.com, modern and modern jeeper um, forum were all channels that we created for the purposes of education. Um, whether it's going out and doing events or uh, doing news and information at modern jeeper.com, modern jeeper forum, allowing people to go in there, all different platforms and, and all the even, com even competitors be able to be on there and just share information. The concept of the modern jeeper was what you and I were talking about. Like, it doesn't matter what your platform is. I don't care if you're a SenCal build that has, you know, uh, 40 inch tires on 22 inch rims, right? And uh, all chrome and all decked out. And it's really true is a mall crawler. Or if you're building your rig with 40s to go up four dice, I don't really care. You're a Jeeper. You own a Jeep and you're part of this community. And so that was that was the impetus behind the concept of the modern Jeeper is that anybody's design, anybody's feel, anybody's, they can come together and learn about this community and people evolve, right? So we, but our, our goal is to educate you about our products. We are now starting a bigger program and this is going to be kind of cool is that we've done a really good job of, of bringing people into the metal cloak fold. And we do a really good job of taking care of our medical customers. But do we do a great job of what do you do once you buy your products, once they're installed in your rig? So our big impetus right now is to build a post-customer world, for lack of a better word, where you're a customer. We have the Medical Gunners Club, 10,000 members on Facebook, um, and that's just a small snippet of our customer base. But those 10,000 members, they can share with each other. But I want to pull it off of Facebook. I want to build a community that is has essentially a firewall. It's for our customers only, but it starts educating them on on wheeling, kind of like the E3 program. There's one out there called E3 Off-Road, and he has Brian over there at E3 has that has it for firearms, has it for overlanding, has it for off-roading and a couple other different things. And there are lots of great content in there. It's, uh, you know, how to choose a line or how to drive in the sand or all these different things that teach people how to use their rigs and, or how to use whatever it happens to be. Obviously E3 firearms is all about how to use your firearm and, and, uh, and special discounts. Um, we want to build kind of the same kind of platform for our customers. So you, you learn how to do it. I want to be the place where you come to, to learn everything you need to know about building your Jeep, everything you know about doing your Jeep and how to do it. And then everything on, on how to actually use it. Once you have it, where you should go, where are the best places to wheel, where are the best maps to use, 
you know, there's lots of questions customers have when they're, when they're brand new Jeep owners that it, that we need to try to help them. Cause I know what it was like. I know what it was like going on the Rubicon trail and somebody's like, well, did you go up Walker Hill? And you're like, I don't know which one was Walker Hill because I went up a bunch of hills to the point now where we have a map that we sell that has every single one of the little markers on the Rubicon Trail. And if you you go through that, you'll know you'll be well educated about the Rubicon Trail because you see all these different marker points. So that really is kind of the goal. Educate, learn. Um, what I used to have a business card for my other company that said education, inspiration, action. And I think that really applies to everything. You educate people, you inspire them to do things, and then they can get out and do it. I love it, man. I think it's so necessary for all of us who just, yeah, we we hop into it, we buy a Jeep, and then we know it can go do things. And it's like, well, you got to get a good foundation there. And listeners, don't worry. All of those links and everything that's been mentioned, we're going to have that in the show notes for you. So you don't have to remember them or rewind and write it down real quick. We're going to put all that stuff in the show notes so you can connect with the guest and the company and all of those pieces. Well, that would be good too, because I, I forget half the stuff I mentioned. So, <laughs> <laughs> let you go back and read the show notes and remember, right? <laughs> Man, I think we could talk for days. It's been an excellent interview, brother. I really appreciated having you on today, and I I can't thank you enough for taking the time. But I know, as an entrepreneur myself, that it is time for you to answer the phone that has probably vibrated ten thousand times right. and finally open the office for the line of employees you have waiting to talk to you. So. I'm going to let you go. Um, I think that this is probably one we could continue with a second episode one day of just hitting all the other things that we didn't hit. Uh, I'd love to have you back on the show at some point, but for right now, man, just thank you for spending your time with me today and going over all this stuff. Well, it's been absolutely my pleasure. And yes, this is, it's a great conversation, you know, in our own show, the modern Jeeper show, it's all about the same kind of format, just chatting and just learning, right. And just talking. And I, and I love this format. And I, so I really appreciate you bringing me on. Uh, it was a long time coming and I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Absolutely. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in for another episode of small business origins. I hope that you're a metal cloak fan. Even if you're not an off-roader, if you're not, you need to get into it because there's no better way to spend your time off. It just takes out so much stress. It's like going to an ax throwing place or something else where you get to expend a bunch of energy that adrenaline rush hits when you're on the side of that cliff and you feel like you could fall off at any moment. But when you have good guides, you know what you're doing. It can be totally safe and fun, even for the family. So if you're not a fan yet, you need to become one. If anything else, just please go check out Metal Cloak, what they're doing. Connect with Matson. Pay attention to all the things that they're pushing out because just showing some love is what helps the most. And speaking of showing love, we need you to show love with reviews on this podcast. That's what helps drive all the attention that comes to us through social proof. That way we can get eyes on our guests and help out some of these businesses that are coming out here and pouring out their hearts every single week, telling you about their personal life and what their business has going on. So you can head over to www.smallbusinessorigin.com. We've got all the information, show notes, and everywhere you want to listen to your podcast right there. Most importantly, that link to leave us an awesome review. Listeners, we love you. We thank you. Matson. thank you for being a guest, man. You've been great. That's another week, another episode, and as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 